I think understanding those some of those cultural nuances, especially if you're not so familiar with the culture and communities, could be really helpful to both understand your customers and also to build businesses within specific niches that may not be sort of on your radar yet. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we're dedicated to helping product-based business owners turn into revenue-generating, successful, happy product bosses. I'm Jacqueline Snyder. And I'm Mina Kunlositep. Together through digital courses, coaching, and masterminds, we've helped over 50,000 students from startup to multi-million dollar businesses scale their sales while blending in their dream life. It gets lonely out there in the product business world. We fully believe a business shouldn't be built alone. There's room at the top for all of us. So let's get scrappy and creative together, Product Boss, to be profitable, make more sales, and grow your visibility. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey friends, it's podcast recommendation time. This month, we can't seem to get enough of No Straight Path, hosted by the incredible Ashley Menzies Babatunde. Now, she is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, just like us, and we can't wait to share what we love about her episode. Ashley's podcast is so inspirational. She does an incredible job helping to shed light on the true stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles of those who have acquired success. She brings on guests from all walks of life to inspire conversations around what creating success actually looks like, because there is no straight path to success for anyone. Of course. And we truly believe this. She really humanizes success from the millennial perspective. She recently did an episode featuring Laurel and Harig where they dove into the importance of sustainability building a business. And it was so eye-opening. Yeah, I love that one. Laurelyn was sharing one of the biggest lessons she's learned as a business owner. And one of my favorite things that they talked about was how easy it is to forget that success doesn't happen overnight. Because I feel like as a lot of product bosses out there, um, they feel like it's taking a little bit too long or that they're falling behind, but they're right where they need to be when creating a successful business really does take time. So... Listen to No Straight Path wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. In place of Jacqueline today, I have a very special guest, and that is my friend, Jerry Wan. He is a new friend of mine. I know she said I wasn't making any friends because I tend to not make friends. Um, But (laughs) that was if you were in our training the other day. It was so funny. Um, Which brings me to why I brought Jerry on. It is AAPI month, which is Asian American Pacific Islander month. And he is one of my, my... actually my newest Asian friend. And the first time I met Jerry, which was not long ago, I immediately thought, he is so different than me in the way that he is such an instant connector and I'm a not so instant connector and I'm more of a instant creator in sense. Like I, I naturally go to creating, he naturally goes to connecting. So I really wanted him to come on here because I feel like with all of our different paths, even, you know, in the Asian American sphere, um, he's done so many different things. And he's been, because he's a natural connector, so exposed to so many different types of businesses, whether it be creators, makers, um, product business owners, service business owners, the vice president of the United States, all these different people. And I thought, you know what, if he's going to know the patterns of what's going to happen in this world, and especially with the Asian American movement, Asian invasion, if we want to call it that, um, then this is the person to talk to. So welcome, Jerry, to the podcast. And we're so excited to have you on. Uh, Mina, thank you so much for having me. I am really blessed to be here. Um, you know, we, we go through life making friends sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident. Uh, this by one force. was, yeah, <laughs> but this one was all thanks to our mutual friend, Aiko Bethea, uh, another badass Asian American woman uh, doing really great work. Um, and so grateful to Aiko and, uh, you know, excited to chat. Yeah. So give us a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now, Jerry, and kind of uh, what you're doing out in the world of especially Asian American um, change. Yeah. You know, so simply put, I, have decided to put my time and energy into helping other people uh, live at the intersection of impact and income. And so whatever your background is, however you define impact, 
trying to find a way for you to produce other people to produce income so that they can take care of their family and their communities by doing good work. Uh, by functional background, uh, I went to undergraduate uh, at USC to study business out here in LA and spent the next 10 years doing a variety of sales and marketing roles in real estate, insurance, and other places. Uh, and that's where really I learned the business of people, right? So what is really sales and marketing? It is building relationships. It is helping people. And then to capture the value that you uh, create, whether it is helping somebody uh, find a home or buy an insurance policy, etc. cetera. Uh, I then went to business school at Michigan to get my MBA. Um, Exited to consulting. And so I was a corporate consultant for a little while. Um, came out to work at a place called WeWork, which most people are familiar with now. And about three and a half years ago, I found myself at a crossroads. And uh, as a recent father of two, and as somebody who deeply cared about the world that I would leave my kids to, um, I realized that there was also this gaping opportunity of creating stories from people who had similar and also uniquely different experiences from uh, my own from our community. And so launched a series of content initiatives on LinkedIn. I launched a podcast called The Asian Americans. Got really deep into sharing a variety and the diversity of Asian American stories. Uh, was able to build a pretty successful speaking career on the back of that podcast and the relationships that I had built. And now I have, as, as Mina mentioned, I have a creator business. We have a creator community, a private membership community for content creators. I run a speaker mastermind for folks who want to do what I do and just really want to help people realize that their stories have worth, that their stories have value. And the things that we create into this universe, whether they be physical products like many of you, or just you as a product, should be something that you should consider marketing and capturing that value so that you can create experiences and legacy and value for your own families. Mm, I love that. You know, one of the, when, um, like Jerry mentioned, Ico is one of our mutual friends and we happened to be in Austin during similar time that you were there for South by Southwest. And you had created a, a creator marketplace there, right? During that time. And I'm curious because I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, the Asian culture were wired to never rock the boat. This is something we got into even with um, a previous podcast that I was talking about with Jenny Shea of Sipping Streams, um, Tico, and she was out of Alaska, right? So even in the product sphere, a lot of times um, people, whether or not they be Asian American or not, they resonate with me because they don't want to be the face of their brand or they, you know, they're not so comfortable talking about it, whether it be culturally like us, where we're wired not to speak up, but they don't know where their voice is. And I thought it was really interesting when you, when we first chatted, you in your speaker mastermind that you just were mentioning, you said that was it eight out of the 12 people were Asian women? Correct. Yep. Eight out of yeah. 12 probably to fix that wiring that they were never supposed to speak up and now to find their voices and speaking up. But what are you finding that is like the most friction point of getting people to find their voice and how are you helping them overcome that? I think it's it, it's a lot of facets. What primarily I think it's what we've been told. I think it's a lot of self-identity and the things that we were taught to believe, uh, starting with our parents, our immediate communities, which are extensions of our, our parents' social circles. And then the system, broadly speaking, whether you want to you know, call that the American education system or the, the professional sort of um, you know, world that we live in, that has continued to perpetuate for us this notion of what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And so I, I want to be fair and, and to you know, give credit to um, the folks who have really sacrificed so much for us to be here, and that's our parents, our grandparents, and and the generations before, and and for them coming to this country, whether you came here as a refugee, adoptee, or immigrant, the self identity was really rooted in survival, seeing ourselves as the outsider, and in a very short amount of time, and in perhaps one generation, we, you, me, and other folks in our generation, genuinely believe that we've they did that so that we could build upon that and to have carve our own space in this landscape, whether it be business or otherwise. And because of the speed of that transition and because of the lack of uh, cultural awareness, I don't want to say education, um, but the understanding that our parents were trying to raise us in a world that they were not familiar with, I don't think that empowerment piece was really there. And to further sort of contribute to that, we didn't really have good role models, uh, 
coming up, whether they be entrepreneurs or other speakers that we could look up to, because uh, for a long time and even still, there's a lot of places in institutional places like higher education and business that don't want people who look like me and you, Mina, to be in leadership positions, right? And so how are we supposed to be inspired by executives when for a long time that was gatekept, right? How are we supposed to look up to politicians that look like us when not so long ago, people who look like me and you legally couldn't run for office, right? Mm -hmm. Or even vote. And so, you know, I, I do want to you know, emphasize the fact that there's a lot of self-belief that needs to be worked on to genuinely believe that our stories are worth something and that there is a great marketplace for our products, our stories, and our businesses. Um, And the other part, which is the uphill battle. And again, you don't have to be Asian to resonate with this. But if you identify as a member of a marginalized community, the deck sometimes is really stacked against us, that we don't have as many opportunities we're constantly underpaid. And there are people who feel discomfort or, or working uh, to not have us included. And so, you know, helping people talk about these things is, is the primary thing that I do because we don't talk about these things enough. I think many of us have been taught and in this notion of do a lot of good work, hard work to be accepted. Um, but then we never really asked to what thing or to what place are we trying to get accepted into or to be assimilated into? And, and is that where we want to be? Um, and I think considering a lot of the, you know, the unfortunate things that have happened in our community the last two or three years um, and the conversations shifting in terms of, hey, who are we? Who do we want to be? And sort of what impact do you want to leave for your kids and then future generations? I do believe and I see it uh, a new wave of empowered folks who are uh, for the first time, perhaps realizing the value of their story, realizing the value of their product, their creation, and getting more comfortable. And it is always going to be a battle, but getting more comfortable than we are yesterday about talking about the objective net value that we bring to our audiences, our customers, and our peers, and capturing as much as we can of that value. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, you know, I saw a stat that was on, um, because you you do... um, public speaking, right? You engagements across the country, mostly at the universities. And I think I was it on your Instagram, maybe perhaps it was a stat that was something crazy that um, a, a certain percentage of Americans couldn't even name a prominent Asian American yeah. leader. Um, this was probably before Kamala Harris, or maybe they don't associate her. It was um, during. Um, it was, oh, okay. The survey was done, I think in 2021. It said 2022. 20, yeah, 21 or 22 and uh-huh. 50, 53% said, I don't know. Um, and then the next three uh, names were uh, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, and uh, Lucy Liu. And yeah. those people are, uh, well, great people and have done great things. Like uh, Jackie Chan is not an Asian American. Um, Bruce Lee, unfortunately, passed away 40 years ago. Lucy mm-hmm. Liu is an actor. What do they all three have in common? they played upon the martial arts stereotype that most people associate Asian folks with. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, and the survey population was like a broad 4,000 plus Americans of all different types of races and backgrounds. And you're like, how do you not see us in the everyday? Our vice president is Asian American. Um, you know, people who win gold medals for this country, right? Like Chloe Kim and other folks are Asian American. Uh, people you see on TV and otherwise. And the fact that in a survey that that didn't click um, tells us two things that one, sometimes you're invisible and sometimes we are seen as not one of you or one of us, right? Because we are otherized and this thing is called the perpetual foreigner syndrome where it doesn't matter if you're born here, it doesn't matter what you do in this country. Some people will never see you as an American. They will always see you as a Korean, right? As somebody else, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, that statistic, uh, and that was a a survey done by a group called Launch, kind of shocking, but also not really, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. depending on who you are and and where you've lived in this country, uh, we have all felt at some point or another this sort of invisibility or this sort of, you know, um, know, uh, where are you from? And continuing to be asked, where am I from? Uh, yeah. Because for some people, 
Jerry from Los Angeles is not a sufficient answer. They yeah. have to get down to, oh, you're Korean and you're from Korea and your real name isn't Jerry, is it? And and mm-hmm. that is really to make us feel othered. Um, and again, I, I think for, for our parents and some of the earlier uh, folks who were here, that was met with, and what do I need to be accepted by the person who doesn't see me as that? And I think the tides are shifting a little bit. Obviously, we have a little bit more economic power within the community. We have a little bit more political power. Um, and, and we're, as a community, becoming a little bit more cohesive uh, and supporting each other's businesses in a way that I don't think we've seen in the past. And so um, all those things that I think are leading to this movement of, hey, not only are we going to take care of ourselves economically, but it's okay not to be accepted or not to be assimilated because our stories in and of themselves are valuable. We have large enough audiences who value that. And then just to play sort of the, the global game for, for a second, Mina, like Asians are the global majority. And this is not mm-hmm. to make anybody else feel smaller, but you know, somebody could be watching us, me and you, this interview from our hometowns in Asia and feel like they resonate because we can inspire somebody to be us one day, right? Mm-hmm. And our stories resonate in a way that transcends, uh, you know, country borders or language even. And so um, that, that I think is sort of the, you know, the opposite side of the, the opportunities or sort of the, the situations. The unfortunate news that sometimes we hear is that there's this actually really this great opportunity to own our stories and to, you know, build businesses on it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, going back to a little bit of that marketplace that I was talking about in South by Southwest, one of the things that we find with our community that maybe goes to market or marketplace, let's say in this scenario, is that they're not wired to ask for a sale. They're not wired to sell to people um, or even to bring up their story, like you had mentioned, and a viable story, but even to, you know, make money in a way where you're not giving it all away. You're, you know, otherwise you're not generous, let's say, or you're not supposed to sell goods to people, or you're not supposed to ask questions or, you know, ask somebody to look at something, you know, you're calling, you're not supposed to take up space. Right. And so can we talk a little bit about that? Did you, do you see that at all? And do you see a change, you know, happening? Yeah, I think the question of like, how assertive do you want to be is, is a really interesting question. Right. And I think, um, and I'm going to speak in just very broad generalizations. And so if this doesn't apply to you or your specific culture, um, I'm not trying to, you know, help put a words in your mouth. But, you know, I, I think it has to do with sort of the social contract that we grew up with in our own individual, unique, yet, you know, uh, oddly similar Asian cultures. And it is a little bit more uh, collegial or a little bit more collectivist minded than Western or American culture, which is rooted in a little bit more individualism. And so this notion of if I do good work for a company, will they take care of me in the long run is more of a collectivist mindset of, of course, right? Like, and so, you know, um, and uh, not to say that it's an American ideal, but I do think that the way that we uh, exist in a capitalist society has something to do with it. But, you know, and so why that's important to talk about small business owners is, the notion of if I create a good product and if I am good to the community, will they support me is sometimes an assumption or a, a way of operating business-wise that is a culturally more attuned way of operating than somebody who was raised in a different environment or culture who was taught, you must ask for this sale, right? Because asking for the sale might come off as, and this might sound odd to some of you, it might seem a little aggressive, right? Shouldn't you just present all your offering and then let that person decide? And again, this is just a, you know, I don't want to blanket culture, but different people have different selling styles, right? If you've sold anything, and I'm sure all of you have, you don't go to the same, you don't make the same pitch to every single customer. And not to generalize an entire population of community folks based on what they look like, but there are certain things that I think are important to be mindful of when it comes to how aggressive do you go for a hard close or do you let that person walk? Um, and it really has to do with, I think, you know, uh, a little bit of culture, but also 
a little bit of just our own um, education that we received on how assertive you are to be, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we prioritize harmony and peace and getting along rather than sometimes asking for a sale or being assertive could be perceived as creating conflict because now you are asking for a response to something, right? And so yeah. I, I think it's, you know, um, but I think with, with a lot of the, the, the makers who, who come to the markets that we produce or to, you know, work with us on, on stuff, you know, it is sort of finding that balance because if mm-hmm. you are an Asian American business owner, your customers are likely both Asian and non-Asian. Your product might be rooted in something cultural that's important to you. Maybe it isn't, right? You could make widgets that don't have anything to do with anybody and make great income and to build a great business to hire a lot of people and to help people. But I think understanding those some of those cultural nuances, especially if you're not so familiar with the culture and communities, could be really helpful to both understand your customers and also to build businesses within specific niches that may not be sort of on your radar yet. As your business grows and scales, it's important to have a good customer relationship management system, something that organizes and manages your important data. Because the more you scale, the more you have to keep track of. Unfortunately, it can be tough trying to find a system that is easy to use, especially for Mina and I, who we really need something that's easy to use. Yep. Easy to use. Definitely. It's even harder to find one that grows with you as your business grows. Plus trying to find a new system every time your business grows takes time and energy that could be better spent elsewhere. This is why many businesses choose to use HubSpot CRM. Not only is it super easy to use, but it also grows with your business because it's built to scale. You can even customize it to the way you do business so that it's working specifically the way you want it to for your business. Absolutely. It's for sure a top choice because especially since it has tools like ad tracking, social media management, and AI content assistance, it allows your team to get more done in less time. That way you can scale even quicker. And the fact that it grows with your business and is built to scale is incredible. No matter how big your business grows or how much data you need to keep track of, HubSpot CRM will handle it all. It truly is a lifesaver, no matter what stage of business you're in. Get started for free today at HubSpot.com. Hey, Product Boss. Okay, this is for you. The other day, we got a message from Lolly asking us if we had a referral for a great inventory management software to help track raw goods and on-hand products that were ready to sell. And you know what we told Lolly? We sure do. Not only do we have a resource for inventory management software, but we have over 308 other business tools and resources that will help you effectively run your product-based business. Now, this ranges from packaging and printing supplies, affiliate management, website and email software, legal resources, video and photo tools, and so much more. You will have everything you need to grow your dream product business today and at no cost to you. Yep, this is totally free. And you can download the Product Boss Ultimate Resource Guide right now by heading to theproductboss.com slash resource guide. Again, that's theproductboss.com slash resource guide. Now back to the show. Hi, my name is Marie and I own Marie Alexander Studio. I am based in Canada and I started MSM in February. I have a big launch coming up soon, and for the first time ever in my business, in the four years that I've been doing it, I feel prepared. I feel like all of the things that I've heard about or wanted to know about are covered in MSM in a clear and concise way. These ladies speak my language, and finally, I feel like I've found the people that I needed to find. Yeah. I'm going to give everybody that's listening a little bit of tough love because I agree with everything that Jerry was saying. Here's the thing though. So because a lot we're wired in a lot of ways to work hard and present ourselves, present our products, and then supposedly the people will come. Supposedly that will attract the right people. Here's the thing that's been wired into us, right? But the tough love here thing is that if you don't ask, you're never going to get an answer. No. If you don't, if if you don't ask, you'll probably become invisible. Guess how I know? I'm a professional, like being invisible, right? In an all white um, state, right? So we were taught always to assimilate, assimilate, to blend, to never 
call attention upon ourselves, never look people in the eye, don't ever ask questions, you know, all those different things. And I do think that as a business owner, in order to step into the role of you actually do need to sell your goods, you're going to have to take on a persona that allows for you to extend the invitation for someone to buy from you. Whether that's considered aggressive or not, you're going to have to ask the question, would you like to buy this? Would you like me to set this aside for you? You know, otherwise it leads to invisibility and no answer and a a hope and a prayer that somebody's going to be like, oh, really want to buy this, which could work out in a lot of ways because, you know, I think for even in the Asian culture, like I'm afforded opportunities simply because I did work hard. Now, does that work in all scenarios? I'm not sure, you know. I don't think so, but but it's also not just in a transactionary sense, but if you're trying yeah. to negotiate something, right? And so, you right. know, for, mm-hmm. for for how I make the primary of my income and teach other people, it's in speaking engagements. And, you know, sometimes I work with speaking bureaus that negotiate on my behalf. Other times I negotiate for myself. And do you take that first offer, right? And when you're getting started and when you're just taught to be so grateful for every opportunity and to counter offer seems offensive because they offered you this money. Shouldn't you be just gracious and take it? And again, you don't need to be an immigrant or refugee to have these mindsets. These are all things that many of us are taught just to be grateful. But you can be grateful and demand fair pay. You can be grateful and make sure that you're getting maximizing the income for your family while doing the same amount of work. Yeah. Fair pay. Let's shoot for the sun here. You know, we want you to make as much money as you possibly can. I want to read a quote from you, which I really, really loved. Um, I couldn't get it on my computer, but I'm pulling up my phone, everybody. Okay. So you said, the American dream is not limited to what our parents wanted from us. I don't know if you remember even saying that, but I loved it because I thought, that is so true. We sometimes carry the baggage generation after generation after generation. And we think that there's an American dream that our parents wanted from us. And it is true, but that it's not limited to that, right? And you have two girls, right? Do you have two girls too? A uh, boy and a girl. Oh, boy and a girl. Okay, I have two girls. They're both Asian, right? Um, yep. Okay. And so they're going to be left to a different world. And our version of American dream is different from even our parents. So can you speak on that a little bit of it being not limited to, because I think that probably similar to both of us, we grew up with this version of what we thought they wanted from us. And you do carry that as an immigrant or a firstborn American even. Yeah. I I think it's, it's, it's two things, right? And so the things that our parents have, again, I'm going to generalize, but the things that were acceptable as career options for many Asian Americans, and and uh, you probably know the stereotype, even if you aren't, are professional degree-based things like doctor, lawyer, engineer, things that require... Mm-hmm. Could have listed those off. But yeah. for you, it was to be them. For me, it was to marry them. Ah, that's unfortunate. And so, again, like, you know, difference there. G- gender adds a different layer. <laughs> yeah. But, but thinking about where those things came from, right? And so in the aftermath of war, in the aftermath of hunger and just instability back home in our in our home motherland, traditional education was one of the most surefire ways to get out of whatever terrible situation your families were in. And so, of course, they would tell us in an opportunity uh, late in country like America where, wait, you can be a doctor and go to a school like Harvard? Why wouldn't you do that? Because I didn't have that opportunity. What I don't think our parents understood or even still understand to this day, unfortunately, and we have to, we as parents also have to check ourselves is what are the basis or the assumptions that we are coming in with, right? And so, you know, I was born in 1983. We came here in 1992. My parents had to shift and I don't think they did very well. And many of our sort of similar generation parents didn't either. They had to change or to view parenting in, in two different major tectonic changes, uh, intergenerationally, because they had to raise younger people in an ever-changing world with technology and internet and all these things they didn't have, but also intercontinentally, where the culture was so different, right? And so that's really hard, right? Like Americans raising children in America is hard enough. And then mm-hmm. to imagine for many of you who have young children, picking up right now, going to a country where you do not know the language and culture, And what do you do? And also, you don't have your smartphone and your internet to Google everything. 
you just do what you know works in your heart, which is traditional education can get you out of or find stability for you. And so the challenge for me and the opportunity for me, as as is it was do you, Mina, and all the other parents who are listening is, how the hell do you raise your kids to be successful, or at least happy in an unknown unknown? We don't know what the world's going to be in 20 years. We don't know what the technology is going to be. And regardless of your viewpoint of uh, the world, things are going to change. And so how do you create confident, happy children and to also let, you know, not have them repeat some of the same mistakes that we made or that we continue to make? That I think is the challenge. And the reason why I, I love entrepreneurship so much, one, it provides me the flexibility to control my schedule and to prioritize my schedule and my life so that I can be there for them in ways that I wish I had growing up. Many immigrant kids never had their parents show up to Little League. They didn't even Mm -hmm. not even think about the fact that their Asian parents can be Little League coaches. I am my son's Little League coach because that's important to me for one, for him to see me in that way, but also to have all the other neighborhood kids see an Asian dad wearing the coach jersey too. Because those are things that we aren't wired to think is normal. And two, is to be able to actually impact their only their own sort of direct lives, but also sort of their world around so that they can grow up in a world that feels a little safer for them and that they don't have to have the identity conversation so much. Um, this is something that I talk about constantly, but I want to talk about half the stuff that I talk about in the past tense in the future. I Mm. I don't want to have to talk about the safety of Asian Americans in America. I don't want to talk about racism. I do not want to talk about us having to, you know, I wasn't born Jerry, but why did my parents name Jerry? Because- Actually, can we go over that? We didn't go over, are you Korean or is that right? Okay, can can you kind of go back into your background a little? Yeah, so uh, born in Korea, 1983. Uh, My parents were born in the 50s, post-war. Uh, my grandparents, all of them were born in an occupied Korea by Japan. And so if you think about sort of even just the two generations of my grandparents to, or three generations from my grandparents to my kids, like within a century, the complete, like unfathomable change, right? And so having gone from being into a, born into a country for my grandparents that was no longer yours to fight for independence, then to be involved in the war and have my parents being raised in post-war Korea, where it was totally politically unstable, and then to have my kids be born in America and to have the opportunities that we're giving them, like, that's a lot to process. Oh, by the way, we don't talk about our feelings in our community. We don't, <laughs> we don't ask for help, right? We're supposed to toughen up. And, and again, I, I think this is for some, um, and again, I'll generalize the, the here, uh, especially for the men, uh, we, talk, we're, we talk less. We talk about our feelings less. We're supposed to be macho and toughen up and, you know, drink your feelings away or, you know, you have to be strong for your kids. And and these are all really terrible stereotypes that we have internalized. And, you know, what are we really modeling for our kids? Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a, but it, what, a, what a blessing, you know, for us to even talk about this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. with each other, but with other people who are, you know, willing to listen and to learn and to, you know, help us sort of collectively uh, you know, shape our businesses and, and shape our future together. Yeah, I agree. That's that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on. And really what I wanted to talk to you during AAPI is because I think that whether it be culturally, you know, racially, you know, gender or whatever, there's marginalized communities. And the thing with them is that every generation, you get to choose what limiting beliefs you carry on. So for for even whether it be culturally or not, there's some of you that might be telling your kids that those assumptions, like Jerry had mentioned, that artists are starving, that um, you know entrepreneurs are are salesy, that um, you many money is evil, making money is evil. So all these limiting beliefs that get in your way, probably from childhood or how you grew up and how you were wired. And while they were maybe true for other people that told them to you, you get to choose if they're true for you or not. And um, so I grew up in a very much, you know, very, very much like Jerry, where, you know, predominantly, um, you know, white state, you know, Iowa and everything like that, but in a different way, because I am a woman in this culture versus a male, but I'm married to the firstborn male. So 
Lord knows the kind of responsibility that he has on his shoulders. I mean, I know, you know. So um, I think that for all of us, we even even outside of like even in within our marriages or or our spousal partnerships or even business partnerships, we have our own perception of things, our own set of beliefs that might limit us, limit us or that we might pass on. So I think, you know, in wrapping up, what is something you want to leave? And it might be what you're, you know, I feel like lately, the last conversation we had, we were talking about how you're going to create your impact. So, and you kind of figuring that out, right? So what is it that you want to leave with our audience that you want to kind of, um, maybe, I don't know if it's advice or whatever it is, like, what is it that you want to leave with them? Uh, I mean, thanks for sharing that. I, I think the to to sort of uh, add to your point, getting rid of the self limiting beliefs and to instill new beliefs in, in ourselves is the great first step. But we, those of us privileged enough to take action, actually have to do our parts to make sure that those opportunities become a little bit more concrete for people. And so, wouldn't it be nice if everybody had fair opportunity at business, at life, at education? That's not true today. And so however you define that, you need to make sure that if you want your kids to have, like, we can do our part to make sure that our kids have all the confidence in the world. But if they're going to get rejected for simply the way they look, that's not going to help them, right? And so, and if they're not going to feel safe to exist in this, whatever you are, wherever you are, as themselves, that's something that we need to do tangibly and tactically to make sure that our confident children can take advantage and to act on their confidence. And so... That's my ask for everybody. I think, you know, if this is the first time and you might be thinking, hey, Mina, I listened to this podcast to learn about business and what are we talking about today, right? This is important and this is a daily lived experience for so many of us who, while we may seem privileged and while we may seem totally fine on the outside, there there are daily concerns and things about our own physical safety, about our existence. Uh, Not too long ago, Asian people were legally barred from entering this country. Asian people were legally barred from marrying other races or even simply to exist. Uh, Within one generation, um, people's grandparents were taken to camps in this country. And so this isn't history history we're talking about. This is recent history. And some of it is still going on today. Right. And so we're trying to run businesses. We're trying to compete in the open marketplace and to create impact in addition to all this other stuff that we have to worry about. And so you know, uh, take an interest, not just in the cool things that we sell to you, uh, not just in the content that we create that you can consume, but really to think about our history in this place, your neighbors, your cousins, or maybe even your family, the person that you marry that we don't really talk about. And to uh, please, you know, advocate for us if you have privilege, if you have different sorts of privilege, and to, you know, continue to ask questions. And I think that's the best advice that I can give. We are taught a lot of things by, again, our, our parents, our societies, sometimes religion, sometimes other things, to think some certain ways about different people. The best antidote to that is to ask questions. Ask authentic, genuine questions about people's backgrounds, about the way they think, and all these things. And voila, I guarantee you that will also mean that you will become a more thoughtful and more inclusive and better business person. Uh, I can't guarantee it, but I'm pretty sure you'll make more money being more open-minded and having better relationships with people. And you can create more impact in the world that you want to, whether it is through your business or your family, um, because that's all it is. You know, We're just a bunch of human beings trying to get through this thing called life. We all come from different places and we're all going different places. And to better understand each other by asking questions. And then that's what Mina and I have done for the last 30 minutes, right? Just asking each other questions and responding to them so that hopefully you can get to know me and us as a community a little bit better uh, to help, again, uh, however you define impact, however you define income, want to increase both of those and to increase where those two things intersect. Oh, I love that. Um, you can tell just from that what a master of connection that Jerry is, <laughs> because I'm going to take that advice for sure. You inspire me to connect more, to ask questions, to um, really you know, show up, take up space and all the things. And, and, and I do completely agree. I'm glad we have this conversation of um, the first thing you do is just you talk about it. And I think that that 
is so sometimes can be so hard. Show up and talk about it. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, Jerry, can you tell everybody where they can find you, support you, um, um, send people to you? Sure. Um, I can. You can find me in three different places. Um, on in, or on LinkedIn was where I actually spend most of my social time. Uh, Jerry Wan, W O N, is where you can find me. Um, on the internet, it's jerrywan.com or jerrywanspeaks.com. And then on the Instagram, it's Jerry J Wan because some other person who I don't like has squatted <laughs> on at Jerry Wan for 12 years and I can't get it back. But it's Jerry Wan pretty much everywhere else on the internet, except on Instagram, you got to add my middle initial. Okay, great. Um, actually, I totally forgot I wanted to ask this. So we can always <laughs> cut this out if we want to later on. Um, and we get so chatty too, the two of us. But um, in a wrap up, you actually, and I, I alluded to this, this is why I wanted to bring it up because I had mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. You interviewed Vice yeah. President Kamala Harris. Yes. Um, that to me is like pinnacle of success. How do you feel after that and feeling like, you know, where do you go now? And I just want to see what your perspective of that is. Um, there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life as a result of taking ownership of my own story and creating a platform to share other people's stories, uh, namely the, the the stories of our Asian American community. Um, we're, we're recording this in early April. Um, two days ago, I took my family back to DC to uh, attend the White House egg roll. Uh, the Easter event at the White House. And uh, that was my fifth time that I've been to the White House in the last 12 months. Um, Interviewing the vice president, which we did in person in Seattle, uh, would be the sixth sort of what the heck is happening in the world uh, story, right? And and I think, um, you know, just like you on this show, we don't celebrity chase. We, We believe in the power of everybody's story. But there are a few people, I think, in the Asian American community that if you start a podcast or if you want to interview people that you sort of have on your like, you know, that would be really cool. I don't think anybody ever says it out loud, that ambition. Um, But, you know, the vice president was on my list of, you know, if we can somehow get her, wouldn't that be so cool? Right. She is the the first ever Asian American vice president. She is the highest ranking Asian person uh, in the federal government system and just a really true inspiration to so many people especially her being biracial of what can be possible. Um, and, and biracial and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, 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 you know, it, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, um, actually her team reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, we want to invite you to an event. So I, I first went to an event at her house at her home in DC at the vice president's mansion and uh, met with her press team. And they said, Hey, you know, we have, I, I think she'd be a great guest on your show. I said, I agree too. Um, and so hey, have you ever thought of this? It's, it's, it's wild. Um, if you want to listen to the backstory of how this all happened, you can uh, listen to uh, that episode on, on Dear Asian Americans podcast. But, you know, it, it was wild. It was a whirlwind. And in, in retro, because when it's happening, it's just, you know, you sort of, um, it happens so quickly. You just go, what, what the heck just happened? Um, but I am becoming more comfortable speaking objectively on this too. But it's, it's bigger than me. Uh, it's bigger than us on this show. It will mean so much, particularly to young Asian women, young Black and Asian women who see her um, in, in, a, in a way that we did not have people in our, in our lives to look up to. Um, the fact that uh, I have had her on my show is just bonkers um, because the idea of the show, the idea of believing in the story as a business or as a podcast, as a business was just an idea not too long ago. And to be able to do that and have the universe stars align where I had a show at the time we had our first Asian American vice president and for her team to be knowledgeable about my show and to invite her. It's wild. Um, you know, and then what about your kids too? Because I imagine my kids' brains would explode. So, uh, did, do young. they are they, they're too I young to conceive? I I think they I think the six year old sort of gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I had been invited to a, a few events at the White House before, and it was always just an adults only. Only dad gets to go. And so, uh, you know, this week when we got a chance to bring the kids, you know, uh, to take a family of four from LA to DC with forty eight hours notice on Easter weekend is uh, neither logistically or financially easy, you know, but we said, Hey, when else are we going to be able to do this? Right. And, um, 
And, and so, you know, it, it, is it cool? Yes. Do I get super emotional just thinking about it? Yes. Do I want it? To, so, so here's, I think, the thing. I, I don't want it to be, by the time they get old, older, and, and maybe have kids of their own, I do not want it to be a big deal that Asian people get to go to the White House to celebrate mm. Easter. I do not want it to be a big deal that there's an Asian American vice president. I want it to be normal. I do not want people to make it such a big deal that I have an Asian American podcast that had an Asian American vice president. And the only way we can normalize that and have it not be a big deal is for there to be 20 of me, is for there to be 50 of you, for there to be hundreds of shows and to people and to have people who look like us in all leadership positions of government, politics, and anywhere else so that we stop celebrating the first, that we stop celebrating the only. The only remedy to that is volume. And so that's why all this matters because the engine that's going to drive a lot of this is economic empowerment, which is in this country, in our communities, rooted in entrepreneurship. And that's why all of you who are listening to this is critically important to even my own success because it is objectively cool, but I do not want to be the first. I do not want to be the only. I know it's cool, but I do not want to be that. I, I, I have this weird dream of mine, which is for my kids to grow up and to genuinely ask me, why was it such a big deal for you to do all the things that you did? Isn't it just normal for people who mm-hmm. look like us to be in those positions and then to you know, share their stories? And so, you know, I think we're living through, you know, not a moment, but a movement. You know, we, we see movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, mm-hmm. Even this weekend, Beef, the Asian American show is number one in the country. Like everybody's doing their part and, and entrepreneurs got to do our part too. Um, and, you know, uh, super duper cool. Um, you know, uh, yeah. And so, you know. Yeah. I think when I was mentioning earlier to about you, I was talking about how we happen to be talking about like negative uh, feedback or something like that. And I mentioned how um, I was going to have a podcast interview with you and how I think of you as very much a trailblazer. And I'm, I don't know if I would consider myself that, but somebody in the comments, was, and I would say that, you know, in my mind, I'm not so much a trailblazer in the the sense that I think of it more so like I want to change how my daughters, two little Asian girls living in Iowa, what is represented to them and what they do in this world and what they think is possible and all these different things. And then somebody said, but you are a trailblazer, right? Yeah. And so I, I completely agree. I think it's awesome. I think that you are, you are so much of a trailblazer. I mean, having, you know, whether... I, do, I get what you're saying of that eventually it'll be normal. It won't be as cool. I mean, when parents do things, it's never as cool anyways. Um, but I think it's very significant. And I want you to know that, that you doing that and putting that on your platform and doing something that um, like so magnified is going to be something that knocks down a whole bunch of dominoes that gets people's people into rooms that shows different people on TV that molds younger generations and minds and um that is so cool so eventually that our daughters will be like um oh, that was all right you know but for right now it's definitely amazing and incredible <laughs> and unthinkable in a lot of ways so just you know pat yourself on the back uh, for that for as thank long you. as you can. No, thank you. I, you know, it, it, it's this balance, I think, of humility, of, of having done something that I think is important in the world, but also objectively admitting and accepting like, hey, that was cool. And, you know, not many people get to do that. Um, I started my show just before the pandemic in March of 2020 when the sitting vice president was not Kamala Harris. I had no idea she'd be in that role. And when she was elected, then I said, this is crazy, but what if? And then mm-hmm. it happened. Then you're like, holy crap. Like we have <laughs> audio and video of it. It happened. It will yeah. live, you know, forever on the internet. And how cool. And so, you know, and again, it doesn't really matter what she said or what I said. The, the, the coolest part is that it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the fact that she's in that role. And so, um, yeah. no, thank you. I, I think, And then you know, uh, next generations can see that, you know. You know, I'm sure she had a wonderful message. I actually, it was getting so that I didn't listen to the full thing. But if I were to show my daughters that, 
like I said, they would lose their minds, you know, and even they're growing up in a different generation. So I think that that's so cool. I wanted to touch on it a little bit. I think um, humility, you know, that might be the Asian person and talking into you, like, what is humility really? I think that you did something incredible and that in order to amplify it even more and to make more impact, you are going to have to magnify it even more because it is. So cool. Um, and um, until your kids get old enough and then it's their turn, you know? <laughs> awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and we need we need friends like each other along the way to help, you know, sort of break us out of our shells and to continue to encourage each other yeah. no, no matter where we are in our journeys, right? Because that's the whole point. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks for um, indulging me in that story at the very end there. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. And again, um, check out... Um, Jerry J. Wan at, um, on Instagram, right? Jerry J. Wan. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Boss Podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive, and we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us.